Wow. What a scripture. That was, that was awesome. I am so excited to share with you today. I am so excited to share uh, with you today. And if you have your message notes there, there was a line that stood out to me at the top. You know, we're in the um, awakening to God's ultimate reality. Awakening to God's ultimate reality. That really resonated with me. Ultimate reality. It sounds like some kind of extreme something, right? Ultimate reality. And, and not my reality, but God's reality. So how do we process these days, these end of days, through his eyes and his reality? Well, I want to start off by sharing his message uh, this message, today's message, has a message. It's a message for you. And here's the message. Stand up, come home. The door is open to you. That's the message. I could almost pack up right now and head, head home. That was the message. Stand up, come home. The door is open to you. So in studying this passage, that's what was impressed on my heart. And as you heard Alyssa uh, read today, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. We're going to talk about that church in Philadelphia. But after weeks of looking over this, preparing for this, starting to get excited to share with you uh, today, there's a couple different groups of people that you see in this passage. And there was one verse, I don't know when you're reading scripture, if this ever happens to you, but there was one verse that I was reading and I just kind of like gloss over it and keep going. Like, oh, that's not the main group of people in this passage. And that was verse 9. So I'm going to start there today. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come down and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And the more I kind of glazed over that and then caught myself and came back and read it, the more it really stood out to me so much religion even in that day. So much religious stuff going on. People claiming to be one thing, and they're not. Liars. Those who claim to be the right people. They were the wrong people. They were pretenders in this, as it says in one paraphrase, the club of Satan. I kind of read that and shudder. A club, a club of Satan. They call themselves true believers, but are nothing of the kind. Pretenders whose true membership is in a club that we kind of even struggle to talk about. I can feel the silence, right? So that was one group. And then there was another group. There's this group of people that were, were vindicated. God had their backs in such a way that those who opposed them 
fell down. Fell down at their feet and acknowledged the very thing that they didn't want to claim. The people that they thought were on the outside of God's love were actually the ones who were in. The ones that they thought were outside of God's family were actually God's family. Now here's like the super awesome part. Those religious liars, it wasn't game over for them. They didn't have to stay on the ground. They had an opportunity to get up, to stand up and come home, and to go through the door that was open to them. I know Alyssa prayed at the top of the service. I want to pray again. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, as we come before you, it's such a privilege to share your message. As we, Lord, spend time together today for these next few minutes, continue to speak to us as we explore your word. Help us, Lord, to listen to what you have to say. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Unlocking truth from Philadelphia. Unlocking truth from Philadelphia. Today's message, unlocking truth from Philadelphia. Unlocking means that something is locked already, right? If, it's, if you got to unlock it, that means it was locked. Uh, and when you lock something, it means you're trying to, trying to keep people in or keep people out or keep something in or keep something out. You're trying to work on the flow of things moving, right? And so there is truth here that we want to unlock, that we want to open, and we want to learn it today from these dear friends in Philadelphia. Now let me give you some background in this place. There is a lot that I could share. I could share the whole message just on the history of this place. It is an actual place in Turkey. Yes, you might be wondering Philadelphia, Philadelphia, USA, that wonderful city on the east coast where the Eagles play. That's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about the modern day city of Al Shahir. You can look it up afterwards. Yes, it's there. Now, uh, they have awesome soil in that part of the world, in that city, in that region, and they are known for their raisins. Do we know anywhere that is known for raisins? Yeah, I don't know. I'll just leave it right there. But if you're known for raisins and you're known for grapes, especially from these biblical times, it means you're also known for wine. And this was a place that loved wine too much. It was on the road to Rome and they used that road to distribute uh, those things that they weren't supposed to love so much. So the scripture we're going to study today is a letter 
to the people that lived in that place. And what do we see? What do we see? Uh, We see a group of people that received no rebuke. Right last week and the week before, we heard messages about the, the church that was talked about before this one and the church that was talked about after this one. If you're tracking with where we're at in the book of Revelation here in chapter 3. But as we read these passages, right, 7 through 13 in chapter 3, it's not quite what you anticipated. This church they didn't receive any rebuke. Now, if you're following along in your outline, we're to that point where you got to write it down. Are we ready to write it down? I hope you're ready to write it down. If you're, if you're watching online, throw that in the chat. I'm ready to write it down. If you're listening later, driving down the road in your car, don't crash. Just make a mental note. If you're here in the auditorium today, are we ready to write it down? Yes, here we go. So what we see in this passage is a church with little. Little. We got three littles on the page. Little. Little strength. Little size. And little influence. Lots of little. And on that little, on that little bit of strength and little bit of size and little bit of influence is a lot of attack. An attack by who? Attack by the religious folks, the religious people, the people who should be the ones supporting the little. I was talking to a friend involved in Celebrate Recovery, and he was telling me about this time that he lived before Christ, and he was like, man, um, if I had one, one was good, but if I had two, two was better, and if I had three, you get where I'm going. One is good, two is better. Two is good, three is better. Three is good. So when we're talking about things associated with our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups, that's kind of clear where we should direct that, especially talking about things before we came to know Christ. It's human nature. Maybe talking about celebrate recovery makes you feel a little uneasy. It shouldn't. You should come. Wrestle with your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. If you want more info on Celebrate Recovery, mark it on that card. If you're watching online, say, Celebrate Recovery, I want to know more. Now, an example that, that really came to me talking about this size thing it has to do with my kids. I got three kids And I was dishing out ice cream the other night. How many of you have dished out ice cream to kids? Does does the amount that you give them matter? So I've got a a, uh, 
first grader and a kindergartner. And so my first grader and kindergartner, they are in discussions about which one of these bowls has less. I want the one that has less. No, that's not what happens in those moments. So whether you're cutting up bananas or distributing ice cream or pouring chocolate milk, whatever it might be, right, I want more. I want the biggest one, says my daughter. My son looks at me in that same moment and is like, I want the bigger one. You get the point. As we're talking about God's ultimate reality here. In God's reality, more isn't better. Bigger isn't better. God has a different reality. His economy is weird to us, right? Because more isn't better. Bigger isn't better. Better is better. And what's better is his plan. So it says there in the text, yeah, I see your deeds, Church of Philadelphia. I know these things about you. I know your littles. But you are the one without rebuke. So what does God see in that church of Philadelphia? What does God see in those people in that place at that time? He sees a church that is resilient. He sees a church that is faithful. He sees a church that is straight up loyal to him. Because the church exhibited faithfulness to the Lord in keeping his word. They, they didn't deny his name in the face of persecution. And they lived lives, as you see it there in the text, showing exclusive loyalty to the Lord. In verse 10 there, it says, Since you have kept my command to endure. Endure how? Endure patiently. And you did what? You kept my word and didn't deny my name. All of this, right? They're enduring patiently through this special testing. They were proved to be faithful. I'm reminded of John chapters 14 and 15. If you want to write that down, John 14, 15, you can look at it later. Those there were those there of true faith. And, and they lived in a way that honored God there in John 14 and, and 15. But it, it was showing us there that our opinion, our thoughts, whether we think bigger is better, God's way is the best way. So this church, little in strength, little in size, little in influence, attacked from all sides. They were the ones that received what? No condemnation, no rebuke, no judgment, no criticism. Now it's important to pause. Pause, take a drink here of this water. Think, well, who's the one making these claims? Who's the one 
that's setting this standard? Well, we can go to the top of the text there. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the one making these claims. Holy and true. The original, when it says true there, it it means original, genuine, not a copy, authentic, real. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is the original. In John 14, 6 there, in your notes, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the real deal. Now, I was traveling at one time in in Central Asia, and as I was traveling in Central Asia, thinking about things that are real and not real, um, I, as I was thinking about Jesus and his claims of something being the real deal, I was reminded of this experience I had when I was, when I was in this place, really cold place. Like we're talking negative 30 degrees cold place. And in this cold place, they have a tradition of um, tents. And so uh, they have made created the largest tent in the world. This, they like to be the biggest and the largest. And so this, this, this particular city has the largest tent in the world. Now, to give you perspective, this tent has over one million square feet of real estate in it. Large tent. Large tent. Over 500 feet tall. Now, there are stories, there are floors in this tent. And on the top floor of the tent, are you ready for it? They have a beach. There's a beach on the top of this tent. Now, mind you, outside of the tent, it can be negative 30 degrees. When I was there, it was negative 30 plus, or actually negative 30 negative. I think it was negative 35, which was cold very cold. And so you can walk into this place, into this tent, in the middle of this populated, cold place, and there's the beach. Now, they wanted to make this a beach so badly that they imported sand from the Maldives. They imported sand from the Maldives. A beach in a tent in a place that in the winter is negative 30. I was so struck by this experience that I went and I was reading reviews on it. And I felt like this one really stood out to me. One person said, it was nice, it was comfortable, but it was missing its soul. And that summed it up for me too. It was, it was not genuine. You can't have a beach in a tent you can't, you, can't, you can't do that. And so as we look at this church in Philadelphia, who's making these claims? The one who is holy and true, Jesus. And he can make these claims because he's not a tent. 
in the middle of the steppe in Central Asia where it's super cold outside in the winter. And as we look at these verses, there's 11 times where he says, I am, I'm telling you, I am. And the answer is Jesus. Now this past week we had summer extreme days here at our church. Summer extreme days. And we should emphasize the days part. Because man, when you're working with kids, the, whoo, it is, man, my kids loved it. But it was, it, it's awesome, but it was uh, a lot. And when we're talking with kids as we're driving home with my kids, we're talking about the main thing. And the main thing, the reason why we do summer extreme days is Jesus. You can look in your notes there. Point number three, the answer is Jesus. In talking with my kids, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. So you don't have to think about it. The next four fill-ins, it's Jesus because the answer is Jesus. You can go ahead and write it all in. It's Jesus. The answer is Jesus. I'm going to say it again in this passage. The answer, the real deal, is Jesus. Jesus is holy and true. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the real deal. Now, as we're reading uh, this book, Revelation, as we're reading this book, Revelation, there's four things that you got to keep in mind, four ways to apply these passages that you're reading. Number one, uh, they were written to a specific place at a specific time, and they are to be locally interpreted to that place, to that church, Philadelphia, of modern day, Al-Shahir. They applied to that church in that time. Uh, second, they apply historically as a, and, and foretelling of what is to come. You know, the biblical word we use is prophecy, that foretelling, what's, what's, what's coming. The third way is to, it applies to all churches throughout all time. So if it applies locally, it applies historically and, and in a foretelling kind of way. You're like, oh, good. Oh, good. I'm out. But the fourth way to apply this is personally. To you and to me, today, there is application that we can apply from these verses. So when Jesus is writing these things in Revelation... He's talking to that church in that time, to all churches of all time, foretelling what's to come. And he's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to us. So if the answer is Jesus... And it's all about Jesus. Jesus holds the key. We read in that scripture here in Revelation, Him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, what he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts 
no one can open. Now, in this book of Revelation, there's over 500 references from the Old Testament, places where we can see different things that were claimed in the Old Testament that we're now talking about in the New Testament. And this is one of them. Isaiah uh, 22, 22, it's there in your notes. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus holds the key. Jesus holds the key. Something is shut or something is open and Jesus holds the key. This, this caused me to think about uh, something that's going to happen to uh, Pastor Travis and I this uh, coming fall. We're going to be taking a trip to Europe to check out what can we as a church do to continue to be involved in the refugee crisis that's happening to this day in that part of the world. And one of the stops that we're going to make, uh, I'm going to see my brother. He lives, he lives, uh, we're going to see my brother. He lives out that way. Uh, and uh, I was texting with him, and we were trying to figure out this issue of keys, because we arrive at this really random hour, and he's not going to be home, and the door is going to be locked. So I'm presented with this problem. European country far away, arriving, the door's locked. What are we going to do? Well, now we got a problem solved. And it just turns out that my parents are going to be visiting my brother like a couple weeks before that. So they're going to take the keys and come back to the States and we're going to trust FedEx or UPS or the Postal Service. I don't know which one to trust the most. It all feels kind of risky to me. We're going to put those keys in the mail and we're going to mail them out here so that Travis and I don't have a problem with a locked door and lacking a key in Europe. You see, but we don't have that problem with Jesus. He's figured it all out. We don't have to trust UPS. We don't have to trust FedEx. We definitely don't have to trust the Postal Service. Because Jesus has the key. Jesus has the key. Jesus has the key. How encouraging is that? In God's reality, Jesus has the key. So Jesus, holy and true, the original, holds the key. Yeah, that's, that's assuring. And as we keep reading, as we continue on, Jesus also controls the door. See there in this verse, I have placed before you an open door that nobody can shut. I've used the key, I've got it, and I've opened the door for you. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16.9, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Wait, he starts there and says, a great door for effective work has opened to me. Paul didn't open the door. Who opened the door? Just like we talk about at summer extreme days with our kids, who opened the door? Jesus, one of you, thank you. 
See, Jesus presented himself to the church in Philadelphia as he who is holy. He's declaring, I am God. I hold the key. I control the door. So, given all of that, what does that then do for the little guy here, for the church in Philadelphia? Well, the church in Philadelphia was then vindicated. Vindicated before their foes. All of their enemies, the, the, the ones in the club of Satan that I read about earlier on, takes care of them. This church that persevered, they overcame, they were faithful to Christ in their time of trial. Then what happened? It was faithful to them in their time of great trial. And they received deliverance in their final period of testing. Here's another way to, to say it. Don't get lost in the, the text there. Jesus provides spiritual protection and he provides it against all forces of evil. Wow. That is awesome. But what did the church in Philadelphia have to do? The church in Philadelphia, to be that one who endures, you have to give up control. You have to let Jesus be the one to fight your battles. You have to put that control into his hands. Like I said, I got three kids, and I was um, trying to figure out how do you get your kids to learn how to swim? So we uh, enrolled our kids in, in swim class, and I don't know if you've seen parents like this, but this was an ex the exact example of a parent who couldn't give up control. So we're paying big money to have our kids learn how to swim. You know, you got those chairs, and you're like watching them in the pool. And here comes this mom. Let's call her Sally. Here comes this mom. She's like running over. Hey, teacher, my kid's sinking. Your kid's not sinking. She's a swim instructor. Give up control, mama. The swim instructor's got it. Here comes Mama Sally. Care for my kid. My kid needs to learn how to, it's a group class. My kid needs to learn how to swim. Let's not be like Sally. Or on the soccer field, it's the best, like the, the best. My kids aren't in soccer yet. We're trying not to have our lives be dictated by kids' programming. Um, but I've seen, have any of you been to a soccer game with little kids and you see that dad yelling across the field, hey, coach, my kid, and then fill in the blank, whatever it might be. <laughs> You're not the coach, dad, sit down. You trusted that coach with your kid. Let him do his thing or her thing. The church in Philadelphia had to experience the same deal, right? They had to put endurance into the fact that they were trusting Jesus to take care of their business. So whether it's a funny example of swim class, trust the teacher, or an even more funny example of soccer coach, 
Let the coach coach. Let the swim teacher teach. That church gave up control. They put control in Jesus' hand. And what then happened? What did Jesus then do? He gave them security in the coming age. He honored them. What does that look like? Well, Jesus makes a pillar. It's the last point there in, in number three. Jesus makes a pillar. First Timothy 3, 15. If I am dis- delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. For to me, for me to die than to live. See, Galatians 2, 9 talks about these pillars. There's all kinds of pillars. Pillars are faithful people who bear his name. Jesus is using his help, using his life to help people and know their worth. Where their true citizenship is found and where they belong to God. See, we've talked a lot about summer extreme days today in this message because that's what we went through this last, this last week. This past week we had over 400 kids on our campus here in, in Fresno. Over 275 volunteers. And most importantly, we got kids asking questions about what Jesus is talking about here. Kids, many of whom who didn't know their worth, like in Galatians, where their true citizenship is found and where they belong to God. We want to introduce kids to Jesus. And for the older kids, they filled out these these cards. And so often when we do these things, we're like, 37 kids, check the box. I'm not interested in the box checking Because I'm interested in the conversations that kids are having as they're exploring the depth of what does it mean to follow Jesus. On the, the card that they did, they had this question. What's one thing I want to know about Jesus, but I'm afraid to ask? You should have read the questions and the opportunities we had this week to really talk to kids about Jesus. Get kids listening to God, thinking about these things. Why don't we check out this video of a highlight from this week. Three, two, one. kindness. He taught us about forgiveness. He taught us about generosity. Today, I can be strong because you are 
is just talking to God. And every single one of us has the ability to do that. questions connecting with Jesus. I got this note that I wanted to read because so many of you were a part of this last week. Whether you were on campus uh, or whether you were at home praying, God, God used you and your faithfulness to create a fun, safe, loving environment for kids to hear God's message. This is the note. God made his good news grow in the hearts of kids. Thank you for being faithful farmers. God used you to bring hope and salvation to kids that will reverberate throughout eternity because what we witnessed last week was a snapshot of the power of God's church when we come together in his name. It's so good to be a part of the family of God. Thank you, church, for ministering to kids. So how many pillars did God make this past week. Pillars. Pillars. If Jesus makes the pillar and they're talking about pillars, what does that mean? Well, in the passage here in Revelation, there were tons of earthquakes in that place where the ground literally shook. I looked it up to see, hey, is this still going on today? And in the last year, as of this morning, there were 4,444 measurable earthquakes in that place. The ground shakes. And you're like, well, maybe they're just these little guys. Well, there were seven earthquakes in the last year over a magnitude of four. The ground shakes. Now, I don't know if you've been in a situation where the ground is shaking, but when the ground is shaking, you can't stand. And so the church in Philadelphia was often brought to its knees because the ground was shaking. So Jesus uses this idea of a pillar very intentionally because when the ground shook, those pillars that they had in that place, they didn't fall. They were designed in a way that they didn't fall. They were immovable. They were permanent. So in writing this letter, Jesus was trying to use a picture that the people in that place would understand Look, I'm going to write your name on a pillar. 
and it won't fall. And see, when that ground was shaking in that town and in that place, they did then what we do now, and that's what? Get out of the buildings. Get outside. You know, drop, cover your head, roll, go outside, right? So the church in that place was outside of the city so much. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you outside. I don't want you out there. I want you inside. And I want you inside forever. Three things the end of this verse. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the names of my God and the name of the city of my God. New Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Three things. You're going to belong to God. You have a new citizenship in that new Jerusalem and Jesus' new name. You are now related to the king as I close three things what does God want from you he wants you to hold on endure patiently like that church did give up control and give control to Jesus hold on it's not easy to witness for Christ when you're bitten attacked from the right and from the left Satan is that accuser. He uses religious people to do his bidding. This is how Paul was attacked. We know that in the book of Philippians, right? Chapter 2, 10, and 11. Every knee will bow at some day. We got to stand up. Stand up, come home. The door is open to you. So when you're out there, you've left, not because you've left Jesus, but because the ground was shaking and you had to get out. He's saying, I've got the key. The door is open. Come home. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I'm actually that religious liar. The one that was forced to my knees. The game's not over. You can stand up. You can come home. And all seven of these letters in this book of Revelation end in the same way. And so when something is said seven times, Seven being the number of perfection in the scripture. Seven times. Seven times we're asked to do one thing. And so we end with that. And I will read what it says there. Seven times it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So no matter where you're at today,
No matter where you feel like you fit, we end with the call to listen. Hold on. Stand up.